0: This is Blue Raz. Mm-hmm. It's very tasty. All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight we'll be starting 2 Timothy, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. We'll get into the second pastoral epistle. While you're turning there, I just ask you to pray for the camp as we get closer and closer, um, for the preparations to go well, and we're starting to gather more things from the grocery store and freezer and and all these things, and trying to make sure all of our ducks in a row for when the kids get there, and just pray that everything goes well. Also, for the people that are volunteering to help and uh, minister to these kids, uh, interesting things will happen to them spiritually this week as well. It always does. So pray for their perseverance and, and protection. Um, anyway, let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you that we're able to dive into this first chapter of 2 Timothy, and we pray that you would speak to us as Aaron prayed. We do want to hear from you and your spirit. Um, we want to be uh, encouraged, uh, taught, learn. Uh, just what you were trying to teach Timothy and to try to share with him, we want the same. So by your spirit, would you be our teacher and guide tonight? In Jesus' name, amen. The background to this epistle is a little different than 1 Timothy. First Timothy, we had a situation where he was, Paul was free he was ministering in Macedonia, and he writes to Timothy, uh, as he, Timothy, is the pastor of Ephesus right now. Timothy has been given the task of straightening, straightening things out there um, in Ephesus. There's false teaching. Um, there's arrogance, pride, a bunch of stuff. We went through that as we went through First Timothy. The second letter isn't as, uh, well, Paul's not in the same place. He's in prison now. Paul is at the end of his life. Uh, he is awaiting his moment with Nero. Um, Emperor Nero is now in charge of uh, Rome. And if you know anything about Nero, Nero was not a, a great guy to be a Christian under. And so the persecution of the church, the fire that's come upon the church in a bad way, not the good fire, not the Holy Spirit fire, but the other fire, the... the The removal of the church, or the attempt to anyway, is is very severe right now. It's a a dark time for the church. And what's happening is Christians are leaving the faith in droves at this time. Paul's going to talk about a few of those folks who were ministers and are no longer ministering because the persecution is too much. And fire does do that. Persecution does show and produce... uh, Exposed, maybe that's the best word to use, those whose faith was genuine and and those that were along for the ride while it was rosy. Um, Persecution is always good for the church. It always purges. It burns away all the, well, everything that can be burned. And the only thing that remains is gold and silver and those things that are of God in your life. So it's a hard thing to watch a, uh, a persecution take place. It's hard to watch anybody suffer, anybody go through hardship and difficulties, whether that's individually in someone's life or whether that's uh, as a society, like what's happening here in this letter. Um, it's hard to watch, but the fruit is always good in the sense that um, what's of God remains. And so we'll see that take place here in this second Timothy as Paul is desperately trying to keep Timothy in the faith. I mean, you can't do that, but he is praying for him that way. You know, He's going to name a few guys tonight that didn't stay with the Lord, and he's mentioning them by name so that Timothy understands that these were strong people, or at least had the appearance of strong, and they're no longer walking with the Lord anymore. So Timothy, do. When I say guard your heart, Timothy, I really mean guard your heart. Because it a, it's a small step for some to walk away from the faith. And it's only through persecution that that gets revealed. So that's the background for this. We see them in a, a terrible place. What I find interesting about this also, though, as Paul is in prison, when he decides to write a letter from prison, he writes about the faith. He doesn't write about his circumstances. It's interesting to me. I admire Paul, obviously, and I want to be like Paul, and I imitate Paul as Paul imitates Christ. And when Paul is in his darkest place, all the people that he's ministered to throughout his life, as far as he knows, besides Timothy, have all walked away from the Lord. That's a pretty dark place to be personally (laughs) and to write a letter not talking about it, where he is, what he needs, his difficulties, his trials, his tribulations. He only says, And in fact, in the first few verses, he thanks God. He gives thanks in this. And what he sees as a difficult time for himself, but doesn't talk about it, he takes the time to buoy the souls of others, to encourage other people, to tell Timothy, you need to do this, watch out. And then also tells him to follow in my footsteps as I'm about to go die for the faith. Be sure you're ready, Timothy, to go die for the faith as well. To go all the way, follow me into this. It's quite a letter. Every time I need a little, um, and it's about every two or three years, I need my own personal pastor's conference, you know. These are the letters I go to. These are the things that encourage me. Um, And hopefully these are the things that will encourage you as well. So that is his goal. That is Paul's goal. He's also going to teach, um, as First Timothy was more about how the church is supposed to operate and the church is supposed to be an organized religion, by the way, as though, as though that's some sort of sin to be organized. In fact, that's what First Timothy is all about. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like when you meet together. This is what we're supposed to do. There's the order of things. Here's how Jesus set it up. I've given some to be apostles, some to be pastors, some to be teachers, some to be prophets for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, and so on. This is supposed to be this way. Second Timothy talks more about how to be a Christian in difficult times. First letter is how to be a church. Second letter is how to be a Christian. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, According to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. I won't stop every verse, but I have to start off slow. When you write a letter in in this time and in this uh, this region, you start off with, like we would write a letter, and at the very end we'd say, sincerely, J.D. Dirks, or whatever, your name. Well, they start off that way so you know who's writing it right away. You don't have to undo the whole scroll and find out who wrote it first so you understand what's coming. It's the first line. And, and when he writes this first line, he makes sure that Timothy, who he's going to call in the second verse, beloved son, that's not, in the, that's not the title I'm writing to you in. My kids are all pastor's kids, Right? And J.C. said this several times, and some of the other kids have mentioned it once in a while. It's a very interesting situation they find themselves in being in this fellowship, those who are still in this fellowship. Because I'm their dad, but as J.C. points out, you're my pastor first. That's a hard thing. So there are times when I speak to my son and my daughters as sons and daughters, and there are times when I talk to them like, a pastor talks to them because they serve here. So when I talk to them like servants, you know, hey, what's up with that? You know, stop doing that. I don't want that anymore. This needs to change. Or I, I don't know why I have to tell you this every, every time. You know, I, I'm, I'm a little bossy when it comes to those things. This, this should be, we should be over this by now kind of thing. And they've got to receive that like a, they would a, a pastor from a pastor. I do other encouraging things for them, too, as pastors, but that's the hard one right there. Other times I talk to him like a, like a dad, you know, pastor hat off, dad hat on. Well, Paul has that same situation with Timothy. Timothy's a son in the faith, someone who led to the Lord, someone who's he's nurtured and brought along and encouraged, you know. But he wants them to know this letter isn't from that hat. It's from the hat of an apostle to you, Timothy, who is a pastor. And I want you to hear me and I want you to take this letter that way, you know. So it says Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved son, I, I do love you, son, you know, he mentions, but I've got some hard things to share with you. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord to all three. In all three pastoral epistles, he adds the word mercy to grace and peace. Grace and peace, Paul writes in all of his other epistles, except in these three letters, he adds the word mercy. And there's a reason for that. Because although every pastor, Timothy, I, I know you're to serve God, but I also know that you're not going to do it right perfectly every time. I want you to know this, that Jesus Christ deals with you with grace, mercy, and peace as well. You know? Nobody wants to blow the calling. Nobody wants to do it wrong up here or out there or anywhere you serve. Nobody wants to make the mistakes, but you're going to. And you're going to be corrected for it. And you're going to be called on it. And it's very easy to hear that that's coming from horizontal relationships with people and think that that's the same way God deals with you, and He doesn't. Now, He's not happy with your mistakes either. Don't get me wrong, He's a father who puts on the God hat, the Jesus hat, and the Father hat, depending on how he needs to talk to you as a servant or as a minister, which is what minister means, servant. But he wants Timothy to know what I'm about to tell you is a hard thing, but I want you to know this, that although it's hard, it comes from a place of love, and God deals with all of us ministers with grace, mercy, and peace. You're going to do the best you can. And when it comes before when it comes to you standing in front of Jesus, the the mercy seat of Christ, the 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 gates of heaven, we say all the time, he's going to deal with you this way with grace, mercy, and peace. He's going to look at your heart, He's going to understand your motives. He's going to know that you're but dust also, and that you make mistakes. So he encourages us that way. Now, as a beloved son, The persecution that's coming upon the church, you could write one of two things. He's going to write one, which is this, Timothy, hold fast, follow me to death. Whereas if you're writing to a son, you might want to say, run for your life, keep your mouth shut. That's the way to stay alive. But that's not what he tells Timothy. This is a hard letter to write. It will be a hard letter to read for all of us. It's a hard letter for Timothy to read, but even a harder letter... For someone who loves someone on the outside, hey, I'm in prison, about ready to die for the faith. I'm here to write you a very special letter, Timothy, from love. You're going to die too. And I want you to follow through with that. Can you imagine that responsibility? Knowing that Timothy is going to do and going to follow the letter that you write to him, you're about to write to him, I don't care what happens to you, I don't care what they do to you, stay with Jesus and follow the gospel, no matter what. It will end up here, where I am. But that doesn't matter. That's not why we follow the gospel. We follow the gospel and we do what Jesus says, because of who he is and because of what he's done for us, because of his care for us, his love for us, because the gospel is all that matters. And you can't change that to avoid persecution. So follow me. Hard letter to write. Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers day and night, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. When Paul prays for Timothy, which he does day and night, what a wonderful thing to tell somebody. I, I can't be there. I can't be in Ephesus. I'm, I'm locked up. But know this, that I'm praying for you day and night. And when I pray for you, I also thank God for your genuine faith, because there's two types of faith, and James talks about that also. There's faith, and then there's genuine faith. And the genuineness of your faith, Peter tells us, is proven by the fire that comes into your life. How does it stand up to persecution? How does it stand up to resistance? I thank God for you. When Paul's in his darkest place, at the end of his ministry, it ends up in a dark, cold cell in Rome, not on an island with a retirement and a great 401k and grandchildren surrounding him. That's not how Paul's ministry ends. That's how I want mine to end, maybe not an island. That's why I'm so in awe of Paul, you know It's hard for me to grumble and complain as I read this letter. What in the world could I possibly grumble and complain about? You know Paul is in a hole in Rome at the end of his ministry, and has no one but Timothy left. At the end of the ministry, at the end, my fruit is, as I hear about all these people leaving, there's others. theres He's going to mention another guy here. His name is Anisiphorus, and that's wonderful. Glad that he's still with the Lord. But Timothy is the only one that he says he can—he knows he can send someplace and will actually have a genuine care for the people he sends him to. At the end of Paul, the apostle Paul's life, he's got one guy. So when he's in his dark hole here and he's, thanking God for everything in his life, Timothy is a shining star for him. It's a beautiful thing. And the only thing that sticks out to him, the only thing he mentioned here is your genuine faith. I'm just so glad you're like saved. And it's proven. And I can see you walking with the Lord. And and I've seen trials and tribulations come upon you. And I've seen you bust through those moments and those times and those seasons in your life. You're not up and down and wishy-washy, you know. You're not a wave tossed to and fro. You have genuine faith no matter what happens to you. Timothy's alone in Ephesus. Timothy's been put in charge of a church that's got a lot of sheep and a lot of people that say they love the Lord, but he's finding out really quick who's genuine and who isn't. And he's also dealing with a board of elders that need to be fired and replaced with genuine men of faith. And that's why he's given the responsibility of picking guys that look like this, and he's going to give them the description or has. And Timothy's still walking with the Lord, but Paul's concerned about him, and that's why he writes the letter. He's going to tell him, I want you to fan that flame of fire, I want you to stir up that, that gift that's been given to you, because he's concerned. I see too many guys falling away. Timothy, don't be one of those guys. At this point in time in the history of Christianity, we can't lose anybody, you know. Nobody's a throwaway. We need everybody. Now, as Paul thanks God for Timothy's genuine faith, he knows where that came from. It came from his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice, not a man mentioned here. Thank you, ladies, you know. Thank you, grandmas and mothers who are pouring in to their kids and grandkids who are pouring in Jesus, pouring in the word of God, loving on them, showing them so they know at least the difference between right and wrong, biblically, not worldly. The world has its own idea of right and wrong. Biblically, Eunice and Lois have poured into Timothy and it shows Paul considers himself the father of Timothy in the faith anyway. But these two ladies are the mothers and the grandmothers. It is not lost. It is not a waste of time for you to continue to pour into these people around you. He thanks God for them. I saw that in Lois. I saw that in Eunice. And it's in you too. Genuine faith. What a beautiful thing. Verse 6. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's his concern for Timothy. In the midst of all this persecution, in the midst of the people walking away, in the midst of finding yourself standing alone with Jesus in this world, he can see timothy maybe waning a little bit or hearing of it or maybe his letters aren't as frequent or his visits aren't as powerful or whatever it is he sees something he says timothy stirred up fan the flame and the stir up isn't like stirring up water it's stirring up a, a campfire that's going down you know i can't stop messing with campfires i don't know if if you're one of those people too it's just something fun in fact i saw well, this is, makes no difference at all, and has nothing to do with the teaching. But here I go. They they sell these things for men, just fire pokers. I get that ad on my Facebook all on the on the on the feed all the time, and I don't know why I'm getting targeted for that. But apparently, I need one of these things. These these fire pokers. It can grab it. It can poke it. It can lift it. It can stir it. I'm going, Egh. you know, I think I need one of those kind of thing. I don't know what it is. But but that's the term that Timothy or that Paul uses for Timothy. Let's stir that up, you know. And you know the second thing you need to do with that. Not only put more fuel on it, obviously, you gotta add more wood, but what do you do? You blow on it. I still have that picture of camp when we couldn't get the wet wood fired up for the for the initial bonfire that night. Do you guys remember that photo? And there's Josh Mullins with a leaf blower. <laughs> I was amazed at how the, it looked like a blowtorch coming out the backside of that fire. It was this wet green wood, and he's got that fire going. Of course, five gallons of fuel do that too, that, that'd help. <laughs> but he put, the, he put the, uh, the leaf blower on it until it's just, I'm just going to dry out the wood myself. And, I, and it's just, I got that, I'll, I'll post that on this feed. What a great shot, you know. Timothy, stir up that fire, you know, it's going out. Can't have you go out. I can't get out there, Timothy. I'm about to die. I don't know who's going to be left to carry on this mission. You're the guy. Don't burn out like everybody else. Don't let that fire go out. And here's the thing He has a responsibility to keep that fire going. It isn't God's responsibility to keep kicking us in the rear. You know, sometimes that's our prayer. Oh, God, give me the desire to serve. Okay. I mean, how does God answer that prayer? Zap you? Zap your brain? Change your mind about serving God? Change your mind about loving Him? Being thankful for what He's done for you? How does God do that for somebody? You know? Hmm, how do I make them more thankful? I guess Jesus could die on the cross again. No, obviously. Timothy, you have the responsibility. Stir up the gift which is in you. You've been entrusted with this gift. Nobody else has this gift. You do, though. You need to stir it up. See, we've all got gifts that God's given us, things that God's called us to do. We can do them or we don't have to. But the gift has been given. Use it or don't use it. But that is up to us, whether we do or not. And so he says, I want you to stir that up. Guys, it's going to be really easy to grow cold in this world. That's one of the things that Satan's plan has never changed. The first thing is to make sin normal. Make sin normal and acceptable. The second thing, well, the first thing is he's going to cause you to doubt God's word. Did God truly say? It's exactly what he said in the garden. Did God say? And that is the battle that every church goes through is people coming in. Yeah, yeah, I know the Bible says that, but that was written by men over thousands of years. It's been changed over time and so on. Did God really say is always going to be the first tactic of Satan. The second thing is going to be to make sin normal and acceptable, and we're going to be desensitized to it. And the third thing is to make righteousness weird. When you carry your Bible, that's weird. When you read your Bible every day, that's weird. You go to church on Wednesday, that's weird. Nothing wrong with any of that stuff. But Satan will make you feel that way, and the world that follows Satan will make you feel that way as well. Standing up for righteousness will be harder and harder and harder. God has not given us a spirit of fear. And throughout Proverbs, he warns us to have the fear of the Lord and not to have the fear of man. The fear of man are the things I mentioned earlier. Doubting God's word. Making sin normal. Making righteousness weird. That all comes from man. And how they look at you and how they perceive you and how they talk to you. And your friends looking at you saying, well, yeah. That's kind of weird. I mean, I'm a Christian too, they'll say. I'm a Christian too, but... Well, I don't believe everything in the Bible. Okay, well, how do you choose? How do you decide what's true and what's not? When you, when you take parts of the Bible out that you don't agree with, what, what is your criteria that caused you to throw it away? You just didn't like it? Or what? You know? And how does that criteria that you put on that scripture that you threw out not apply to the cross? Why is that acceptable? Because everything you know about Jesus came from the same book. Why is that not okay? And that is okay. And what was your decision-making process in that? have to be very careful. It'll be, it'll be easy. And, and you'll see it. We'll see it. Timothy, I don't want that to happen to you, Paul says. Don't let that spirit of fear come upon you. Don't let that take place. And that does happen. Happens to me. I don't know if it happens to you or not. I care what people think. I want people to like me. I want people to. And if there's some hard edges, and maybe the scriptures should be just toned down a little bit, or just don't talk about it tonight. You talk about it all the time. Don't talk about it tonight. Give the people a break from talking about it. that. That is there, but it's not by the Spirit. That's a, that's a that's a fear thing. I don't want to be known for beat 'em, bust 'em. bust That's our custom. Go, God, go, you know, either. I don't want to be that church. But I don't want to neglect like Paul is not neglecting to teach Timothy to stand strong when it gets really, really hard. This is a hard letter for Paul to write. You're writing to the last guy a hard letter. It doesn't make sense, does it? The last guy standing out there, you're like, well, maybe I ought to, maybe I ought to stroke him a little bit, you know. You're a really good boy. Sure do love you. You're doing great. You can do it. Paul says, I don't have time for fragility. You're gonna have to be hard, buddy. You're not gonna make it unless you're not unless you are. I don't mean hard-hearted. I mean thick-skinned. Able to go to battle, able to go to war, able to understand what you believe and know why you believe it. But with a heart of love and compassion, willing to do battle with darkness and evil for the sake of the good and the people that need to be saved from it. The gospel is about saving people from hell, pulling people out of their current condition of walking with Satan and sinning. That's a hard walk. That's a hard battle in a world that doesn't want to hear it and doesn't want to change. And God calls us into that place of serving. Verse 8, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, which is the gospel. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. Don't be ashamed of that. Is Timothy ashamed of that? I don't think he is. But Paul is worried that Timothy will become ashamed of that something that he doesn't want to say out loud, something that he doesn't want to talk about as much because it only brings another whipping, like Paul got every time he talked about Jesus. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Don't be ashamed of me being in prison. Remember, that was the Corinthians problem. The Corinthians liked the eloquent guys, the guys that they'd pay to come in and teach, and told them what they wanted to hear and didn't really talk about the sin, about the guy living with his mom right there in the, in the church and all, and the, the weirdness that was going on there. He just he was just positive and encouraging, and I like that. And Paul says, how am I excluded? I started that church. I began that work in you. How is it now offensive? What have I, how have I changed? The thing that caused you... See, Paul's struggle with the Corinthian church was, what bothers you about my expression of love for you? Is it my being steadfast, immovable, blunt to the point, straight up love you and and won't hide that? You know, what is it about that that's bothersome to you? He says, do not be ashamed of the testimony. Don't be ashamed of me either, Timothy, just because I'm in prison. That's hard to say. Where's, Where's your rabbi, Timothy? He's in prison in Rome. You know? Oh, he's one of those guys making righteousness weird, you see. Making Paul's walk with God. Even, I mean, this is first century church. It's still the same problem today. Paul's walk with God was weird and extreme when actually that is normal Christianity. This is normal. Jesus' walk on this earth was normal, a normal relationship, a perfect relationship with God. Calling people from their sin into repentance so that they can be translated from the darkness that they were headed into, to the light, to to be saved from hell and and, and be able to go to heaven because of this. That, that's normal stuff. That's the essence of it. That's the, the testimony of our Lord. Don't be ashamed of it ever. But share with me, follow me, continue on the same path as me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. He's been thinking about us this whole time, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light throughout the or through the gospel. To which I appointed, a, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Don't be ashamed. Follow with me in this, and it's and it's going to bring sufferings. <laughs> it's going to be hard, hard. The first thing I said last year at the regional leadership conference, and I stand by it, and that's the quote they put in the Calvary Chapel magazine of of that conference. Look, you've been called by God. It doesn't matter what kind of hardships you're going through. You can't quit because God hasn't released you from your calling. And that's a hard thing to say to a bunch of guys that are wondering if they should quit ministering. Every year it's the same thing whether that's regional or at the senior pastor's conference. I know you guys are really having a hard time out there. You guys can do it. And I'm like, has God told you you can't? Well, no. So you're just thinking of quitting and walking away. Well, yeah. Well, knock it off. It doesn't matter. That's not why you're doing this. If Paul was doing it for fruit, he's got one guy left at the end of his ministry, maybe a couple others out there. You know what I mean? That he poured into. That's not why he's doing it. He's doing it because God called him to do it. God looked at Paul and says, I want you to tell the truth to every Gentile. And I want you to do it in love. And it's not going to end well. You're going to die by it. So Paul ministers doing that regardless of what the fruit is. That has nothing to do with him. God brings the increase. Paul is meant to plant. He's meant to water. That's his job. But the increases of God, whether there is any or isn't any, is is God's responsibility. My responsibility is to do it. and so when Paul walks into the gates of heaven with maybe Timothy by the hand is all I got one, you know, left. God says, "Well done, good and faithful servant. That's exactly what I called you to do." So these guys at these conferences I'm like, "You don't have a you don't have a choice in the matter. You never had it. If you had a choice to serve God, then you weren't called. And you should have never been in the ministry. It's not a choice. It's a choice to answer it, but the calling comes from God. And if you answered that call and said yes, then that's what you do. You serve. You serve until he tells you to stop. You see why I read this every three years or so. <laughs> There's a lot of things we can all be doing. This world has a lot of opportunities for us, other than on Wednesday night, that you don't have to be here at all. I'm preaching to the choir, right? There's a lot of things out there. There's a lot of fun stuff. There's blues and beers. could be doing that. Yeah. I don't know if that's happening today or not. You know, but there are times you could be doing that. You could be doing a whole bunch of other stuff other than hearing what Paul has to say. 2,000 years ago, and we're in 2023. Uh, why are we studying this then? Why does God bring this up to us? Because persecution comes, difficult times come, life gets hard. and The gospel and the salvation is, is meant to carry us through those times. We serve whether it's a good day or a bad day, we serve. We love Jesus whether it's a good day or a bad day. If, if we at some time in our walk with Jesus decide to walk away from the Lord because our life isn't what we planned it to be, we didn't, come to the gospel. we didn't come to Jesus through the gospel. We came to Jesus as a self-help program. The gospel is meant to save us from hell. That's taken place. My day-to-day here on this earth, I have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring. Every time I think about another grandchild coming, I'm like, oh, great. And of course, the humdrum uh, Eeyore in me says, oh, it's another opportunity for Satan to attack. That's another car accident phone call that I'm waiting to get. It's another person I love so much that if I hear, you know, uh, great, another person I've got to pray for and worry about the rest of my life, you know. I say that tongue in cheek. Of course, I love them and I want it, but I'm like, I know that those things can happen and those calls can happen. But I've, made, I've made those walks up to people's front door to let them know what the highway patrol just found and that is not a fun door knock but that is how life is sometimes and i've been blessed so far that the faith on the other side of that door is strong enough to grieve mourn weep but give glory to god regardless that's a that's a moment where genuineness is discovered in faith it's a hard place don't be ashamed of the testimony don't be ashamed of me being a prisoner share with me in the sufferings of the gospel because it's the power of God that gospel is, that's the only power of God there's no other option, there's no plan B to get to heaven, that's it if we can't stand that gospel, if we become ashamed of that there's nothing left the world is lost and so are you it's got to be the gospel. It saved. He, he who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, thank goodness, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. I've been appointed a preacher and a teacher and apostle to the Gentiles. Paul says, and I did it. I did it. Verse 12. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. He's committed his soul to him. Paul found rest in his ministry. I can rest in this. Some days there's a lot of fruit. Wasn't Sunday wonderful? You know, over 40 baptisms with our church and their church combined. Wonderful day, you know. And there are other days when there isn't any fruit, and it's just you you made it, you know, and you went to bed and you didn't walk away from Jesus kind of thing, you know, there's those kind of days. I'm not ashamed. And here's how that works, and here's genuineness of faith. I don't care if you know, I mean, I do. <laughs> I want you to know the Bible. That's why we study it. And I want you to understand what the Bible teaches, and I want us to understand sound doctrine. We need all of that. But if we just know that and don't know the person who wrote it, which is what Paul's talking about, then we've lost. We don't have genuine faith. Knowing the word of God, understanding what it, you know, having sound doctrine, then we don't have genuine faith and we don't know him. That's what Paul's saying. I, I trusted my soul to him. I believed on him. And I'm not ashamed of him. You see, the author of these things. So he tells him in verse 13, hold fast the pattern of sound words, which you have heard from me in faith and love, which were in Christ Jesus. The good thing, which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Don't move away from these things. Don't move away from the teachings that you've heard from me. Don't water it down, Timothy. Timothy. He's already warned us in the first letter that's going to come a time when people will not want to hear sound doctrine and they'll heap up for themselves teachers that'll tickle their ears or tell them what they want to hear. And that's, that's easy to do. He tells Timothy, don't do that. Follow the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me in faith, love, which are in Christ Jesus, the good thing. And it was committed to you. Paul committed his soul to God and says, God is going to keep my soul. I trust the Lord with my soul, with my life. In in return, God has committed to us the word of God. But he's entrusted that with us. Paul, don't change a word. And then I want you to commit these things to faithful men. Timothy, don't change a word. And that has to continue through the generations. Don't change a word. Don't water it down. Don't cave to peer pressure. Don't cave to public opinion. Don't stay true. Stay faithful to the Lord. We're all called to that. Verse 15, this you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelius and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered or served me in Ephesus. He mentions three people here. Two walk away from the Lord. Guys, at the end of our lives, it's about a sentence long that'll encapsulate what we've done for the Lord. There's no paragraphs. I mean, Anissa Forrest gets a couple sentences, but the other two guys, they get one sentence. They turned away. If I, got, if I have one sentence, if you have one sentence that's going to be written at the end of your life, what will it say? You know, That's about all anybody remembers of us, by the way. Oh, he was a faithful guy. Or hey, that guy, was he was wild. Or whatever it may be. Or that gal, she was fill in the blank. That's it. Now, when I do a funeral, you you get to read the the obituary. And some are good and some are embellished. You know, you read some of them and it looks like, man, they were searching for stuff to write about this person. You know, he was different. You know, what do you mean by that? He was he was out there. It's a kind way, you know. What is the sentence that will be written about you, about me? What's interesting is I can minister for decades now, but I can minister for another two or three decades. I don't know how much longer I'm going to live, but it's up to God. But if, like, right before I die, I absolutely go off the rails and do crazy stuff and stop following Jesus, you know the sentence that's going to be written about me? Oh, oh, what a tragedy. What a tragedy. Paul encourages Timothy, encourages every time he writes, a, finish the race, finish the race with joy, finish the race, you know? Because it matters. I don't know how long Vigilius and Hermogenes served with Paul, but Paul's one sentence for him is, They've turned away from me. They've walked away. But in this, he's a bright spot. I pray for him a lot, and he writes a lot about him. I mean, he means a lot to me, you know. Anyway, something to think about, something to pray about, something to examine in your own life, and take this to heart because you may not be there tonight. You know, that's the hard thing about these things. Some of you came in this way. You're like, man, I needed to hear that. I was about ready to, you know, whew, you know, that letter was written for me. That chapter was for me. Great. Others are like, I, I don't know. I had a great day. You know, it was wonderful ministry. I, I you know, I served, I ministered, I, I shared the gospel and all that. That's great. But keep this in your back pocket and maybe read this a couple months from now or a year from now. Remember this teaching. Remember this chapter that Paul writes to Timothy. Because as an apostle, he says, it's not just for you, Timothy. This letter is for everybody to read, not just you. You're my son in the faith, but as an apostle, I want this to be scripture. So that's how we receive it tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the encouragement, and it is encouraging that although Timothy may feel like he's moving or inching away from Paul or inching away from his responsibilities in his calling, you are commanding him to come back, to stir up that gift, to do what was committed to him. And Lord, we hear that for ourselves tonight. Help us to take Paul's example of being in one of the darkest times in his entire life and yet writes encouragement to a brother instead of talking about his woes. He's encouraging Timothy in the midst of his dark time. That's faith. That's genuine faith. We want genuine faith. God, prepare us and prepare our hearts as much as we can be prepared anyway for trials and tribulations that come our way, for those phone calls, for those difficult times, for the surprises and relationships that come up, that our faith is solid, that we're standing upon the firm rock of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we're building our lives upon that and no other, no sand, just you, Jesus, just your salvation, just your, our trust in you. Help us to completely commit our lives to you, our souls to you, and to walk with you regardless It makes no difference. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, Paul says. We want that kind of faith, God. We love you. And you loved us. And we know that. And that's why we do what we do. And that's why we walk with you. Because there is no love that can compare to that love which you've showed us at the cross. Nothing can draw us away from that. So we commit ourselves to you again tonight. We, we submit ourselves to you, our souls, our lives to you, God, and help us to fight this good fight, to save people, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We pull people from the fire, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you.